All right, well, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving and welcome to what is now, yes, our 30th week of being scattered together. I, I pray that today or over this weekend it is uh, a time of Thanksgiving, even as we've already prayed this morning. And uh, whether today looks like turkey dinner for one ordered in or gathering with some friends or family to eat, whatever it is, I pray that today is truly a time when your heart returns thanks for the many ways that God has blessed us. Um, we're going to come to a time in this service now. We'll look at a passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible there, a Bible app, if you would turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, we're back into our Ephesians series and beginning at verse 10 once again this week. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us quickly and then we'll dive right into what uh, Paul says here. Uh, Spirit of God, uh, Spirit of truth. <laughs> We ask you now to come and speak your truth to us. Now open our eyes and ears to receive what it is you want to say to us this morning and then accomplish the purpose in us with that truth that needs to be accomplished. You tell us when you send out this word, it doesn't return to you void. Oh God, accomplish that purpose in each one hearing this message today. And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... Here we go. Last week, we, we dove back into this teaching series through the book of Ephesians that we began all the way back in January of 2020, but which yeah, we just took a break from over the summer months and at the beginning of the fall. And, and I think it's probably true. You can go back and check. I think I say this every time we come to the second week of a series, even if it's a series we've restarted. But if you weren't with us last week, if you didn't get a chance to hear last Sunday's message, I would absolutely recommend you make some time later today, uh, later this week, go back and listen through that message. And the reason is because so much of what we looked at in that last message is just, it's foundational now for everything we're going to look at for the remainder of this series. But, but I, I don't have time to, to cover that content every Sunday. So make some time today, make some time this week if you didn't hear it. Go back and check that out. You'll, you'll be much more on page for the rest of this series if you do that. So because of that, I'm not going to make any effort now to, to try and prove or reestablish what we covered last week, but just so, well, just so that we can move on and, and keep going and looking at the other resources that Paul says God has given us to, to withstand the evil day and stand firm, like he says at the end of verse 13. In looking at verse 12 in particular last week, the foundation that Paul laid for us was in, in pulling back, we saw the curtain, <clears throat> pulling back the curtain between the, the natural world and the spiritual world and revealing for us that both the reality as well as the nature of the unseen spiritual battle 
going on all around us between Satan and the demonic forces under his control and the redeemed people of God, the church. But because this is not a battle that we have any hope of fighting in our own strength, what we also saw when we looked at verse 10 is that God has given us the resource of his own strength with which to fight and to stand firm. So we're not on our own in this battle. Okay, So, so that's the, the foundation Paul laid, that there's a real spiritual battle going on all around us, whether we see it or not. It's too much for us to fight in our own strength, but God has given us his strength with which to fight. But as we come now to our passage today, what Paul says repeatedly, if you saw that as, or heard it as we were reading it, is that along with being strengthened by the strength of his mighty power at work within us, God has also given us a second resource that we need to be able, that we need to stand firm in the battle. We need this resource, and the resource, as he says, is the armor of God. This resource God has given us is the armor of God, which again, just looking at that, it's God's strength to fight, armor that just shows us like once again how important it is that, that we understand the foundation that Paul established last week of this spiritual battle that we're all engaged in, uh, just so that now everything that we're going to look at now about armor and all this stuff will, will actually make any sense. Because if we don't accept that reality of the battle or the nature of the enemy that we're fighting against, we're never going to see the essential nature, the, the absolute necessity of these resources that God has provided, nor will we make use of them. But the problem for, for everyone, as with everything in life, is that just either being ignorant of a problem or dismissive of a problem does not mean that we don't still uh, experience the effects of that problem, right? Like if I didn't know that there was a global pandemic or I didn't care, it wouldn't mean that I still couldn't get sick, right? And I think it's the same thing here, which is why Paul is making such a big deal. He's working so hard to help establish and, and help us see the reality of this battle, as well as know about these resources that God has provided to enable us to stand firm. So, so again, last week he talked about the reality of this battle and, and the resource of God's strength. What we'll look at now this morning and for the rest of our series is the second resource, the resource of God's armor. Now, if you look at verse 11 and verse 13, you'll notice there that, that both of those verses, uh, Paul gives kind of a, a general reference to this second resource that God has provided, simply exhorting his readers, put on the full armor. God's giving you this resource of the armor, just put it all on. But then, when you get down to verse 14, we notice that all of a sudden he starts going into detail and, and describing each individual piece of armor. He gives us a general and an individual reference to the army, which makes, makes sense, actually, when you consider that the Greek word Paul uses that we have translated here as whole armor is a word that means something like a complete set or, or all the individual pieces of something that make up a complete whole. So it makes sense that he would give us both. And also, just understanding the fact that we know, like, we know that armor in general is something that protects us in battle, but we also know that different pieces of armor protect different parts of our body. So it makes sense that he would give us both of these ways of looking at God's armor. And, and so as we start looking at the armor of God, that's also how I want to look at our passage today. Okay, so I want to spend just a few minutes, first of all, talking about something really important for us to know about the armor of God in general. And then we'll spend the rest of our time looking at the first piece Paul mentions of the armor of God in particular, the belt of truth. Okay, so we'll look at the armor of God in general, 
the armor of God in particular, the belts of truth today. So if you closed your Bible, your Bible app, whatever it is, would you open them again with me to our passage here in Ephesians 6, beginning of verse 10. Follow along with me here as Paul now begins to unpack this second essential resource God has provided for us in order to stand firm in the midst of this battle, which again, although is unseen, is very, very real and beyond any of our own strength to fight. Okay, so let's do this. Let's look first of all at the armor of God in general. The armor of God in general. Now, it was the spring of 2019, just last year, that my youngest daughter and I began to prepare for a daddy-daughter canoe trip that a friend of ours in our church, Dave Gibbon, maybe some of you will know, was setting up with some other dads. And so in order to just freshen up on some of the skills that I, I had learned over the years, I signed us up for some canoe lessons in order to prepare for this. And the lessons included all the usual like paddling and steering instruction that you might remember if you've ever taken something like uh, learned canoeing at summer camp or whatever. But something that we learned in the midst of these lessons, which I don't think I'd ever been taught before, are what the Transport Canada regulations for mandatory safety equipment that has to always be on your board at all times. Otherwise, you risk being fined uh, or, or even having your boat impounded if you don't have this stuff. I never learned that before. And, and the list of stuff, I mean, it's nothing, there's no rocket science here. It's stuff that you might expect that you would need. You're required to have an extra oar in case you lose one. Uh, a baler to get water out if you start taking on water, a floating rope, uh, a whistle, something to signal people, and of course, an appropriately sized PFD, a life jacket for everybody who's on board the boat. And, and regardless of whether or not you see all or any of those things as being necessary yourself, those with, with much, much more boating experience and or those who have just been a part of far more nautical rescues or recoveries, than most of us anyways, they've determined that this, those are the pieces of equipment necessary for everyone to boat safely. That's just what they've said. You need this stuff in order to boat safely. And yet, and yet, either, whether it's due to ignorance of those regulations or forgetfulness of those regulations, people still regularly go out all the time on the water without any of this stuff, without this equipment. Like that is either... People are unaware that they're even supposed to have this stuff with them, or they have this stuff, like they own it, but it's like hanging back in the boathouse or in the trunk of the car. All of these things, bo both of these situations, to often disastrous results. So for example, I think this is a stat from a few years ago now, but the U.S. Coast Guard in 2017 said 68% of all boating-related deaths were due to drowning, and over 80% of those who drowned were found to not be wearing the life jacket that they had on board the boat with them. The point being, it's not enough to just have the equipment. It's not enough to own the required safety equipment. In order for it to be effective, keeping you safe, you actually need to use it. You have to put it on. Look again with me at verse 11 and 13. Look at the language Paul uses here, although actually he uses the same language throughout his detailed description of the armor. Do you notice the key action that Paul gives us as it relates to the armor of God throughout? In, in all of these verses, what does he say? He says we need to use it. We need to, here's the armor God has given us, we need to put it on, take it up. 
You see that? Which again, it seems like, it seems like such an obvious, self-evident point. Like, yeah, obviously, here's this resource God has given us, which, which we can withstand the evil day and stand against the devil's schemes. And, and who better, who has more experience fighting against the devil's schemes than God? So he would know, of course, just like Paul says, we just need to pick it up and put it on. Yeah, obviously, and yet, not obvious, because just like that equipment that you have and you own, but that's hanging up back in the boathouse, or that life jacket that you decided to use as a seat cushion instead of actually putting it on, again and again and again, God's children experience defeat in the battle because we fail to make use of this resource that he's provided us with. Because here's the thing, it's so important for us to notice. Look here, both the strength of God and the armor of God are resources. Paul tells us, he says, we need to make use of in order to stand firm in the battle. But that does not automatically, he doesn't automatically assume that we are using them. Because why would he tell us to take them up? Why would he tell us to put them on if he just assumed having them meant that we were using them? You see? So understanding that tells us at least two things. First of all, the armor of God, just like the strength of God, is a resource that's available to every follower of Jesus. Every follower of Jesus, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have this resource available to you. But what it also shows us, secondly, is that the armor God has made available, just like that life jacket you got in your boat, only provides protection for those who put it on. And we'll talk a lot more specifically in the coming weeks about exactly how it is you do that. Like, how do I put this armor on? Because, of course, Paul's speaking metaphorically here, right? Like, you, you, don't, you don't get a, a wooden crate of, filled with armor shipped by FedEx to you whenever you become a Christian. Like, what's that at the door, honey? It's your armor here. Like, that's, we, it's speaking metaphorically, of course. But the simple point I'm trying to make here at the moment is that Paul's telling us, uh, he, he's telling us that the strength of God and the armor of God are available for us and that we need to use them. We need to put like, these, these things that he's telling us is not the same thing as him saying that every follower of Jesus is making use of these things that he's told us about. That's not the same thing. Just knowing we have them, knowing they're available is not the same thing as us actually using them. No, it requires As we see here, as Paul's telling us, it requires an intentional choice of every single one of us. Once we've accepted the reality and the nature of the battle, an intentional choice to say, I'm not going to try to do this in my own strength. I'm choosing to operate in the strength that you've given me, God. I'm not going to stand here in my own ability. I'm going to choose to operate under the protection of the armor that you've provided for me, God. As Paul says, we need to intentionally choose to do these things, else, as John Stott rightly notes, unarmed and in our own puny strength, we shall be quickly and ignominiously defeated. Okay, so that's the armor of God in general. Again, the main point just being it's not enough to just know about the armor, to know that it's available for use. Like with the strength of God, we need to make an intentional choice to actually make use of that resource. We need to pick it up and, and, and put it on. Or we're fighting against all of those powerful spiritual forces that Paul listed in, in verse 12 in nothing more than our own feeble strength. Or as we said last week, you're walking out onto the battlefield in nothing but your house coat and slippers. It's not going to end well for you. 
The last thing I want to look at together with you, though, after looking at this armor of God in general, is now the very first individual piece of armor Paul tells us we need to put on at the beginning of verse 14 there. So let's look now at the armor of God in particular, the belt of truth. The belts of truth. Okay, so what a number of different commentators pointed out is that the, the, the imagery Paul is using here for these different pieces of armor that he's describing here as a whole is based primarily on two things, both on the armor of a Roman soldier, we're seeing those influences there, but also he's, he's using language that we read all the way back in Isaiah 11 and 59 about heavenly armor that he says the Messiah puts on when he comes in judgment. So He's using both of these things to describe this armor, this, this imagery. It's where he's drawing that from. But what's already interesting about this first piece of armor in particular, the belt, is that it's not actually armor. Right? Like, the belt isn't actually armor. Okay, so how, how does that work? Well, I'll tell you what. Let, let's look again here at what Paul says, beginning of verse 14. We'll just talk about what the purpose of a belt was for, for a Roman soldier, and then we'll try to see what its purpose is, spiritually speaking, to enable us, to, to help us to stand firm. So look here at verse 14. Paul says this, beginning, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Okay, note already that that language of standing firm once again, as well as there's action implied in this fastening on of the belt of truth. It's something you need to do. You have the belt, but you need to fasten it on yourself. But in order to understand the purpose of this belt, first of all, historically for a Roman soldier, I want to show you how this verse is actually translated in a different translation because the English Standard Version, which I'm using here, at least in this case, I don't think gives us the, the, the fullest picture or the clearest picture of what Paul's getting at. If you look actually in the, in the King James Version, not, uh, not LeBron, but like King of England King James, Verse 14 uh, reads this, this way. He says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth. Uh, New International Version. A lot of people use, uh, translates the verses as buckling the belt of truth around your waist. But kind of somewhere in between there with a more literal translation, it reads this way. Listen. Stand therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Okay, so the, the, the way that we're enabled to stand with this first piece of armor is by girding our loins with the truth. Now, maybe that is even less helpful to you. Maybe that's even more confusing to, to see that. But actually, girding up your loins actually tells us a lot. It helps us understand a lot. And, we, and, and I know we don't use language like this in our modern Western context, girding up your loins. But, but think about it. We also don't dress like people in Paul's day did in our modern Western context either, right? So, if you look at this helpful diagram, it's going to come up on the screen here now, that someone has put together to help illustrate. This helps us see both what girding up your loins is, as well as why it was so important. For as you can see here, wearing these long flowing robes like they did, like, like they did in Paul's day, the danger of, of tripping, or, or just having free movement impeded by such a long garment was, was super high. Very likely to happen. And so, although the guy in this diagram is actually more kind of just tying up his robe, the purpose of the belt that Paul's speaking of here was to tuck in those long, loose ends of your garment into the belt so that you could be ready to fight, so that you'd be ready to, to move about freely and able to move around and, and, and do the job or, or, or action or battle, whatever it is 
you had to do, which, as I said a moment ago, shows us already that although the belt was not armor, strictly speaking, either defensive or offensive, it was an essential piece of equipment for the soldier, and without which, if he doesn't have this piece, every other piece of armor is ultimately useless. I don't care how awesome your shield is, how great your sword or your helmet is, if you trip and fall on your face, you're getting killed, right? Like, that's just, it's so essential. So as, as one commentator put it, quote, rather than being a piece of armor, the belt of truth is the foundation of the armor. I like that. And then as we begin now to take, just to transfer that understanding of a literal belt for a soldier or a worker to the, the way that Paul is using the belt in our passage to describe the armor of God, what that means is that fastening your belt, girding your loins, spiritually speaking, is primarily about our readiness for battle, our readiness for work. Like, like if you think of like a modern day equivalent of this would be like rolling up your sleeves when you're about to fight somebody or when you're ready to do some strenuous labor. You got to just kind of get things out of the way so you can have freedom of movement. This, this girding up your loins, fastening your belt is about preparing yourself for some strenuous labor. Uh, another example you see of this, for instance, is in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, when the people of Israel are about to flee Egypt after celebrating the Passover, and God tells them to eat the meal in haste, quote, with your belt fastened, having girded up your loins, it says, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So it's about readiness to go, which, which actually... Transfer that here, it fits very well to Paul's overall message of this unseen spiritual battle that we're all involved in, as it shows us that what Paul is calling each one of us to with this piece of armor, first and foremost, is readiness for battle. He's calling us to a readiness for battle that formerly we, would have, we wouldn't have either thought to be ready for or cared to be ready for. That's what this first piece is all about. But... Of course, as, as, as the whole description shows us, you can see it's not just readiness for battle alone that Paul is calling us to. For as with all of the piece of armor, there's a, there's a moral, spiritual quality attached to it as well. In this case, truth, right? It's called the belt of truth. And, and perhaps it's not immediately apparent what the connection is between uh, this first piece of armor and truth, or, or, or what truth has to do with readiness for battle, until... Let's say that with a qualified way, until you return to verse 11. Look up at verse 11 with me, where Paul first called us to put on the full armor, literally every piece of the armor of God. Because as you can see, the reason he tells us we need to do this, the reason being is, he says, quote, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's why we put on this armor, that we may be able to stand against the schemes of of the devil. And when you understand that word schemes, literally in the Greek, means a systematic way of doing something that's designed to deceive. And devil, the, the word he uses, diabolos, meaning slanderer or adversary. Or you know what, even just understanding Jesus' description of the devil himself, as uh, from John 8, he says, one who does not hold to the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, Jesus said he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Okay, all of a sudden, the desperate need for truth with which to counter these slanderous, deceptive tricks of our enemy comes much more fully into focus. Now it's like, okay, if, if deception and lies is what's constantly coming against us, 
truth. It makes sense now why that would be how we prepare ourselves and how we make, about, make ourselves ready for battle. And when you seek to understand the relevance of this in our modern day context, I think what we need to begin with reminding ourselves of is that from the very beginning, like from the start, right? The first most fundamental scheme of the devil was to launch a, a subtle, a, a whispered, yet all-out attack on the truth of God's word. That's the very first place Satan attacked that we read about in God's word. He attacked the, the truth of God's word. If you remember that story, it's from Genesis 3. God has given uh, one simple command to the man and the woman. That is, you may eat from any tree in the garden, except do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when Satan comes one day to the woman uh, in the form of a serpent, rather than striking at her flesh, note, he lies and strikes instead at her mind. He strikes at her epistemology, her way of knowing. He strikes at the confidence she holds in the truth of God's word. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree? Oh, he told you you were going to die? You, you won't surely die, Eve. No, listen, you know what? You know what God knows? When, when you eat that fruit, you're actually going to become like him. He knows that. He just doesn't want you to know that. And we know from that terrible victory onwards, nothing in our world has ever been the same. We've just, we've just moved steadily further and further away from a God-centric, theistic understanding of truth to a man-centered, humanistic understanding of truth. I mean, you see this, for example, all throughout history. Uh, just a few examples. You see it in places like the Enlightenment era, 17th and 18th century, where mankind decided to try and define world now apart from God. We, we don't need that stuff anymore. We know how stuff works. Or uh, the postmodern era of the late 20th century, the effects of which we are absolutely still experiencing, where, where truth was decisively untethered from objectivity and just thrown into the deep ocean of subjectivity, where now every person is just defining truth for themselves. This is my truth. This is what truth means for me. Now, no, that's not at all to say that the, the pre-modern and modern understandings of truth didn't have their own uh, problems that needed correcting. But any of you have seen, uh, for example, that uh, Netflix documentary put out for the Center for Humane Technology, The Social Dilemma, if you've watched that, you, you, you would see that, for example, you'd probably agree that that chilling example that they give of a search engine like Google or Wikipedia that, that offers you an individualized presentation of the truth set up just for you, so, so the facts, the uh, definitions, the politics, the history that you're given is based solely on what the computer algorithm has learned are your preferences through social media engagement, okay, that's probably an overcorrection to the other side of, of truth that we agree is equally needs correcting, right? So whether it's believing we just know the truth, we know everything about the truth exclusively, or believing you can't know truth at all, there's such confusion in this battle right now. That's, these are just some of the effects that we experience right now in the battle. And as a result of that first victory of the enemy all the way back in the garden. And yet, and yet, into this world so effectively deceived and enslaved by the devil's schemes. A world that Paul says earlier in Romans 1 has exchanged the truth of God for a lie comes Jesus. 
comes Jesus, the one as, as God in human flesh who told us he is the truth, the way and the life, who, who, who exposes, reveals the truth of these destructive lies of the enemy and calls us once again to, to, to abide in the truth of his word, to live according to his word as we once did in the garden, promising this in return. If you abide in my word, Jesus says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? It will set you free. Abiding in, in his word, as we did all the way back in the garden, that's where truth is found, and that's where we are truly freed. Because that's the thing, right? The, the schemes of the devil, they are meant to enslave and destroy us, which is why the belt of truth is such an important part of the armor of God and why Paul lists this foundational piece of armor first among all the other pieces. You're going to need this to stand, says Paul. You're going to need this piece first to stand against the devil's lies. You're going to need readiness for battle, and it's going to be all about truth. And if you didn't know, the way that you fasten on this piece of armor, the way that you put it on so that you too can gird up your loins or, or, or fasten on and, and be, be prepared for battle is this. First of all, it's very simple actually. First of all, is by knowing the truth of God. You need to know what the truth of God is, which is revealed primarily through his word to us. We need to know what the truth is. We spend time daily in his word. We study his word with others. We commit it to memory. We, we ask for the Spirit's direction and, and, and wisdom and, and correction as he speaks through this word to us. So we know what the truth of God is, but it's not about just knowing. It's not just head knowledge, right? Part of what it also means to put on the belt of truth is by submitting your life to it, submitting your will to that truth, submitting the thinking of your mind to God's truth. So allowing him Allowing his word to be your standard of truth once again. Instead of allowing the darkened thinking, ever-changing definitions of this world to define what truth is for you. Which very practically, if you just want to see what, what this looks like when you put on the belt of truth, it looks like this. These are just some examples. It, it looks like this. When the world tries to define my acceptance as likes and comments on my staged, filtered social media posts. I allow the truth of God's word to define my acceptance instead by a Savior who knows my every blemish, who knows what a mess my life actually is, who knows every sin and fault and failure and who still loves me and who even would give his very life for me. That's, that, that's how I define acceptance when I'm wearing the belt of truth, when the world tries to define success for me as wealth, as beauty, as, as having the most amount of stuff accumulated, I listen instead to the voice of my Savior saying, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Putting on the belt of truth, it means ultimately, as, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13, I gird up the loins of my mind, of my thinking. Uh, like Paul says in Romans 12, I'm, I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind the way I think and submit my thinking, submit my understanding of the truth once more to the author of all truth. That's how we're enabled 
to stand. And that's what it looks like to stand in a world deceived by the schemes of the devil when we fasten on the belt of truth. The call of our captain, Jesus Christ, through his servant Paul here, is to strengthen ourselves in his mighty strength and to put on every piece of armor that he provides in the face of the battle so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We've looked at, you know, just to begin, we need to, we need to actually put on the armor. We've looked at that, and then we've looked here a bit about what it means to put on this first piece of armor this morning. And my hope is that as we look at putting on each one of these pieces over the next coming weeks, you'll see how just essential each one of these pieces is to stand firm and withstand the evil day. But all I want to leave you with this morning in closing is just to remind you, to remind you of the trustworthiness, the truthfulness of the one who is calling you to put on his armor today. I just want to remind you of that. And I know that can be hard. It's hard to know who to trust in this world today, isn't it? Already we've talked about the effects of that first scheme of the devil, but we, just, we live in this world that's just like so defined by spin and hustle and, and, and deceit. We don't know who to believe, and yet I want to leave you this morning reminding you that you can still, the, the, the one who, who calls you to stand firm here, that the one who calls you to put on his armor today, you can trust him. You can trust that he really will reveal his truth to you. And I know you can. I know this is true because I know this. That the one who is calling you to fight, the one who is calling you to stand firm first, before he did any of that, took off his own armor and made himself, leaving himself entirely vulnerable. He humbled himself, as Paul tells us in Philippians 2, even to the point of death on a cross. He, he gave up his protection so that you might be protected. Armor that he took off, took off to allow himself to be the sacrifice is the armor that he now offers to you to protect you. If only you will take it up and put it on. can trust a captain like that. You can trust a leader like that. We, we've already looked at the nature and character of the one who, who lies and schemes and enslaves. This is the character, the trustworthy, truthful character of the one who calls you and the one who also enables you to stand firm. Follow him.